ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. Welcome back to another episode of Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a bad Jew. With me today is TikTok and Instagram famous, Rabbi Raps. Rabbi, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Baruch Hashem, doing well. Of course, the world's not doing so well, but relatively speaking, and I'm honored to be on your podcast. Thank you. Well, it it's really is a privilege and an honor to have you on this podcast. We'll definitely have you on in the future under better circumstances. We're entering into a month of this war with Hamas right now, and we're currently in the ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. Thank God. One report that just came out recently is that now that the ground invasion has begun in the Gaza Strip, there are less civilians dying and more you know, confirmed terrorists being eradicated from this earth, one terrorist at a time, which is so important, one tunnel at a time. So the war effort must go on until... Hamas is removed from the earth, which is why we're talking on this podcast about that subject. But before we begin, Rabbi yes. Raps, as you know, it's a right of entry under this podcast to the four-minute Bad Jew Challenge. Are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. Echad, shtaim, shalosh, yalla. All right. My name is Avraham Rappaport. I serve as a Chabad rabbi in the, in the Atlantic City area. I grew up here. I'm a second generation Chabad rabbi. My parents moved here in the 80s. Got a lot of interesting stories of people uh, coming to Atlantic City to uh, enjoy themselves and losing all their money. And that's the, my childhood story, trying to, my family trying to help people. But went to Lakewood, which is more Litvish, for school as a kid. Eventually went to Crown Heights, to Yeshiva. What else? I became a Chabad rabbi and... I have a little history in filmmaking. I had a company which made promotions for nonprofits. I eventually, I became a Chabad rabbi full-time, and my creative projects went aside until COVID uh, required me to find another way to reach my community. I started making videos, and the videos started to get pick up traction beyond my local community. And by mistake, I became uh, a TikTok Instagram rabbi. I have now a very large congregation, virtual congregation. I love the people who follow me. They challenge me every day with questions. We try to make, th- I try to make videos that are fun, engaging, borderline controversial, like you, Mr. Bad Jew. <laughs> and, and that's my story. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. I, I absolutely love that. And I think you nailed the four minute bad you challenge with, you know, uh, two minutes and 45 seconds on the clock, but that was a very great introduction to who you are. I also want to say, first of all, no one's ever called me Mr. Bad Jew before, and this feels like an upgrade. I feel like I've moved up in the world. Thank you for that. The second thing is that you actually said something that kind of confirmed something I firmly believe in. And I had this conversation recently when I took my friend to the beach to practice a little bit of heat Buddha do. And we were talking on the way and he was asking about, you know, what this journey has been like and how I've been able to create some success out of my first year of creating a podcast. And I said, I didn't create success because I applied strategy. I didn't create success because I was able to figure out an algorithm and find the catchiest title. I found, I, I, I made it to the top 10% of podcasts in the Jewish genre because of the fact that I cared about the content I was creating. 
And I think when the content creator genuinely cares and actually really deeply is passionate about what they are creating, the audience will pick up on that, connect with it in a much stronger way, and they will follow it more loyally. So I, I think that that's something yes. that you have going on for you, Rabbi Raps. And I think I think if, I look up to you in a lot of ways for that. So Kolak, a vote oh, to thank you. you. Thank you. I've been following your podcast, at least on TikTok, and I've seen it grow. I think I've seen your style grow. You, I think we connected about a year ago, and I'm glad we're finally doing this. So, absolutely. So the question my bad Jew WhatsApp community has been asking. This popped up about you know the second week of this war. And I'll pull up this graphic here for those who are watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. There's a Torah portion that says the word Hamas at least twice in it. And that yes. was on the week that Hamas attacked us. Right. And like, like in terms of the hidden code of the Torah, there's I've actually taken a class on this before when I did my Israel trip a little over a year ago, there's, there's this constant hidden code in the Torah that talks about how you can actually predict the future by finding gematria and hidden code and certain keywords in the Torah. Yes. It's absolutely wild. So does this actually mean anything? Is it just coincidence? What's going on here? That's a great question. There's no such thing as coincidence when it comes to the Torah or anything, really. By the way, it's pronounced chamas with a ch. Huh. And, okay. and I believe in the Middle East, you say for everything, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, if, if you're not, not saying... It's not hummus, it's hummus. Okay, continue. Right, exactly. It's yeah. not Hanukkah, it's Hanukkah, it's not Chabad, it's Chabad. If you're not spitting your friend in the face, you're not <laughs> saying it right. <laughs> but yes, look, according to the teachings of Kabbalah, the Torah is not just like something that we got 3,300 years ago when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai, but actually the Torah was created before God created the world. And the Torah was a blueprint for the world. So if we want to know how to live our lives, we look into the Torah because to create this world, God looked into the Torah and created this world. That's our blueprint. But a text that is not just a text written by some old rabbis, but a text that we believe is uh, written by God as a blueprint for the world, uh, is infinite. And if something's infinite, everything's hit, everything's in it, everything that happened in the past, everything that's happening, that's going to happen in the future and advice for now and advice for life. Now, of course, not everyone's going to believe that, but that's the belief of Judaism. And that's where we're trying to, trying to get to with our faith. Absolutely. So yes. So Hamas or Hamas, what a coincidence, or is it that Hamas is written the same week of those horrible horrific attacks of, of October 7th. Now, what is the context of the text you put up? That is the story of Noah, 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 and the great flood. So we're talking about, the context is a world that goes so corrupt that God says it needs to be destroyed. It needs to be eradicated. And the word there, Hamas, means robbery, actually. The world was filled with robbery and evil and wickedness to the point that God says, we got to start again. And only Noah and his family survive. And I'm sure you remember the story from Hebrew school and everything is reset. It's interesting. 
that God doesn't just destroy the world. He destroys the, the people, the animals, the corruption was everywhere. And the soil is overturned in the whole world, the first uh, several inches. Like everything is like cleansed. Uh, and then, of course, God recreates the world and it's Noah and his family. And But it's interesting. There are many stories of humanity rebelling. I mean, even in that same Torah portion, you have the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Mm -hmm. They're trying to create. You, you want to tell us? Do you remember that story? What are they doing? So the, the Tower of Babel, from what I remember, they're, they, a bunch of people decided they want to uh, build a tower that ascends all the way to God. And what happens is God doesn't like that. So he doesn't just destroy the tower, but as soon as everyone is back on the ground, everyone starts trying to communicate with each other. And then that's where we get all these different languages from is that suddenly we can't understand each other. God said, if you can't understand each other, then you can't build a tower together. Something, right. like, something to, that, to that effect. That's what I right. Perfect. And the tower is supposed to reach the heavens. They were like, this God is not going to destroy humanity. Again, we're going to get up there, whatever that means. Or, or, and some say it just means they wanted to build like this powerful edifice, you know, to show the power of humanity that, you know, if there's ever a flood, we could climb the tower. There's a lot of different explanations. But the bottom line is here you have people rebelling against God in the most terrible way, like most disrespectful way. And God doesn't really do much. No right. one gets hurt. They get different languages. <laughs> Everyone survives. And yet, earlier, we hear about a complete, utter destruction of the entire world. Wow. So it's important to notice the difference. I and, guess I don't understand the overkill. It seems like literal overkill to destroy the entire earth, especially if, I mean, does that imply that God makes mistakes, by the way? If he factory resets the entire earth? Well, we can't. Can we say God makes mistakes? I don't think we can say that. Right? God is infinite. God is perfect. God doesn't make a mistake. So, obviously, this is what Hashem wanted. But the question is, what's the difference? In the, in the story of Noah, everything is destroyed. In the story of the Tower of ba Babel, or Bavel, they're, they're let off the, the hook. Easy. There's another time you see the world uh, or a city absolutely decimated. And that's the story of Abraham when he prays to God for Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. That place is like up, turned upside down. They say the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth, you know, where everything just floats and there's no life. Like yeah. that's where they lived. And once upon a time, that was a very wealthy neighborhood of very wicked, wicked, wicked people that tortured and 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 murdered innocent people and hamas is mentioned in that story as well not hamas, in that context that not okay. in that context but i didn't think it'll be right to just bring up the story of the flood without bringing up that story there's two times where everything's just obliterated right and i think that the the difference between the tower and these two stories is these two stories were people that committed crimes against humanity. Hmm. So the people during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, people think that they were, you know, like it was a bad neighborhood, spray paint on the walls, you know, broken windows. No, Sodom and Gomorrah was a 
beautiful neighborhood, manicure de lawns, very wealthy people, hmm. very sophisticated, very sophisticated, very cultured. Okay. Lot, Lot, Avram's nephew, went there. Why? Because it was a very good place to live if you were in with them. Right. They didn't believe in poor in in. They believed that you cannot help poor people. You cannot give charity. You're enabling people that are just going to become a burden on society. So not only didn't they give to charity, if a, if a, a stranger came to their town, these people would torture the person and, and make sure that, and, and the person would die. Uh, many stories told about how a poor man would come to Saddam uh, searching, you know, hungry after traveling through the desert. And the people would all give gold coins, like in a very generous way. And the guy would be like, wow, like this is a great neighborhood, right? But every coin had a stamp from the owner. And then the poor man would go to a store to buy bread. But the rule in Sodom was you cannot sell anything, not water, not bread to a poor person. A poor person is a burden on us. They're a problem. They're a weak link. And so the poor man would have all this gold he's schlepping around with him after traveling, and he can't buy bread, he can't buy water, and he would die. And then they would all come and take their gold back. That's wild. They weren't, yeah, they weren't, just, they weren't just bad people. They were wicked. They were like sick people. And the Torah says that, that God heard the cries from Sodom. And what were the cries? So the Midrash kicks in and says there was this one girl who had a good heart. She lived there. There was a poor man, and, and he was dying. So she went and gave him some bread. And the town took this girl, and they covered her in honey next to some beehives, and they, they provoked the beehives, and the girl was tortured. She was stung to death. And the honey represent the sweetness she had, and they were saying, there's no sweetness in this community. We're, that's a weakness. So this, these are like a twisted, twisted type of people. And Very God said, like, yeah, this is like, and there's the Medrash goes on. It's very, you know, it's the the rest of the Medrash almost looks like the kind of stuff Hamas did to people, amputating right. limbs and really bad stuff. So, yeah. so th God says like crimes against you. You want to kill me? You want to make a tower to get me? Whatever, it's cute. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, I'll I'll change your language. You want to. You, you, you are committing crimes against other people. This has to be eradicated. Right. This, this can't be. And this is not like, you know, someone, this is not a, a story of someone, you know, not paying their taxes or, or mugging someone because they're hungry. I mean, this is, these are people that have a system. And now let's shift back to the story of the flood. The story of the flood was also wicked people. And it was, it was so corrupt and so wicked the Torah says, by the way, in that, I don't know if it's on the image you showed, but the other line the Torah says is, Ki hishchis kol basar es darkai. And mankind corrupted their ways. Es darko, their ways. What does it mean they corrupted their ways? They were corrupt. Why does it have to say their way was corrupt? It's a good question, right? They're talking about, are they talking specifically about, they're not talking about the Torah. They're not talking about. There was they, no Torah. There was no Torah then, right. So right. they, they could, so is their rules, they would, they would twist their rules to their, oh, it's like they, like very you, good. the same way that lawyers play with semantics to get their way. 
would it be yes same but even but even but even more but even more they didn't the point is a lawyer twists a, a bad lawyer my wife's an attorney. I have to be careful. Okay. <laughs> I got some good jokes about rabbis and lawyers if you ever want. But anyway. She should, she should create a podcast called Bad Lawyer. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> anyway, so someone who's corrupt usually has an excuse for what they do. Look, as a rabbi, I visit prisons. I've never met someone who is innocent, who's guilty. Everybody I've met in prison was not really guilty. And even if they admit they did something wrong, they have a reason why they did something wrong. I stole money, but there was a reason. I was stressed. I was worried. I, I assaulted someone. Yeah, because I was angry and I had anger management issues because when I was a kid, I was whatever, yelled at. A person has a certain excuse for their behavior. What they're basically saying is, I'm not really a bad person. I did something bad. I have a way of morality that I strayed from. That's not really who I am. So, but with the flood, the Torah says, Ki hishchis kalbasar es darkai. They corrupted their way. They had no longer did they have a, a, a way. There was no moral compass. There was no. Why did you just murder that girl? Because I wanted to. There was no excuse. I did it because. You go to someone who did something wrong today. Most people, I did it. Yeah, I did it. But I have anxiety. I have fear. I have I had bad trauma. They'll give you an excuse. I was hungry. But the people in the story of the flood, there was no excuse. They didn't even have, their way was corrupt. And that's the kind of... Uh, corruption that's hard to come back from when you don't have a moral compass. And I think in many ways, that's what we were witnessing on October 7th. You saw people not just doing wicked things and then saying they're sorry, saying they had a reason why they did it. They did it with glee. They did it with joy. I don't know if you heard the recording of the, the young man calling his mother and father. I killed 10 Jews with my beer hands. Quickly, get mama, you know, get my mother on the phone so I could. Like, that is twisted. Yeah. And I, and I, I hear that as well in the, in the comment section. I want to say that on social media, there's a lot of trolls out there that are programmed to automatically just comment things that incite some kind of emotional reaction. But over here in Los Angeles, just north of LA was a man named Paul Kessler, who was, he was an old man who waved an Israeli flag in Thousand Oaks, once ranked the safest city in the world, in the world. And the pro-Palestinian, which I will call actually pro-Hamas, that specific person was a pro-Hamas person went up to the man with the Israeli flag and hit him in the head with a megaphone. The man fell down and he died. And what people on the internet are saying is, oh, he didn't die from the megaphone. He died from the fall, which is, I'm just going to be very uh, uh, flat out and just say it. It's bullshit. Excuse my French. There's also, I mean, you also have people being very twisted on the internet saying, oh my God, how's the megaphone? And that infuriates me. It infuriates Horrible. me. Right. So, and when you say that their ways are corrupt, 
that's what I feel. I feel like there's so many people out there that are backing Hamas, knowing what they did. Yes. And, and, And it's shocking. It's shocking to you, shocking to me. Look, people are always sending me I get a lot of hate online. I've had threats, threats to my life, to my children's life, the most horrible things. I interviewed a Holocaust survivor and the and she was talking about always having hope. She had such a beautiful message. You know, the comments about ovens and gas and all that, that, that came up. I just couldn't believe we live in such a world. It's, it's, it's shocking because I don't know any Jewish person that is okay with the babies that are collateral damage which is terrible in in gaza because of war wars happen and it's a terrible thing no one's celebrating that it's it's something that breaks our heart that that's happening because we're trying to free palestine from hamas which is really what needs to happen and there's no glee there's no you know i i heard someone say something point out something very interesting the Nazis did the same kind of things, burning people, torturing people, but they tried to hide what they did. When the Allies were coming closer, they were destroying the evidence. Why? Because as wicked and evil as they were, there was a part of them that felt ashamed for what they did. The Nazi officers would go home, they would get drunk. Why? Because they couldn't really deal with what they did. But here, you have people that did it with glee. They recorded it for the world to see. To take a baby in front of a mother and put it in an oven and turn that oven on and listen to the screams of a child until it stops screaming is twisted. It's messed up. It's pure evil. And if someone could know about that and still think Hamas is a freedom fighter, that is dark. It's twisted. And so with people's ways being so corrupted as the expression is from the Torah, do you think that it there should be a complete factory reset on the world for this place that we've arrived to in the moral compass of the of the universe? I think we need to we, we have to do some soul searching as as a, as humanity, not not as Jews. I mean, as the people of the world have to do some soul searching. And there are some amazing good people. We have a lot of friends. Yeah, we right. have a lot. Of, we have friends in the Muslim world. We have friends in the Christian and in the Catholic world. Every day, I get messages of people praying for peace, praying for Israel. They understand what's going on. So there is a lot of good people out there, but many have lost their way. Of course, there's tremendous propaganda, and we live in a time where someone who's not really involved in the situation just turns on the news, and they're being fed lies and and, and misinformation, and they actually believe, you have Jewish kids that actually believe that Israel is looking to harm Palestinians, innocent Palestinians, which is simply not true, and that's, that's a difficult place to be where no one knows what's right and what's wrong, where there is no truth. And I guess we have to keep what your podcast is wonderful and each one in our own way have to be vocal. We cannot stop sharing the truth with the world. It feels sometimes overwhelming. Like, how can I really make a difference? There's so much negativity out there. But the truth is, one of the messages of Hanukkah coming up very soon is the power of light over darkness. Hmm. A room is filled with darkness. 
right? So dark, I can't see, I can't move. It's overbearing. What do I do? I could fight with the darkness, but the teaching of the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was always, no, all you do is you light a candle. And it's amazing, light one candle in a big dark room and the whole room begins to illuminate. In the far corners, you see the flickering of the light. So we have to do more acts of goodness and kindness and tell the truth as much as we can, even though it feels like it's not going to do anything. But ultimately, light overpowers darkness. And we know how this ends. We all, as a Jew, we have to know, you know how it ends? Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai. You think Hamas is any more powerful than the Romans, than the Nazis? It will end good for humanity and good for the Jewish people. I'm telling you right now, that's the end. Please, God, the least amount of suffering to get to that. Amen. Amen. My prayers as of late have been to deliver us to a better time, to get us over that hump, to bring us to a place where we can look back at this as as history rather than a present-day nightmare. And I don't think that just because we took over the Gaza Strip and removed every Hamas terrorist from the October 7th attack that will completely eradicate evil from the earth. I do not think that that action will accomplish that. But I do believe that it will be a ripple effect. I do believe it will be a statement to not just the neighbors of Israel and not just the people of Israel, but to the entire earth that we are now one step closer to safety and peace. Absolutely. God willing, we should see that. God willing. God willing. There's a lot of people out there who do lose hope. And I know you've mentioned, talked about the uh, act of a candle. Where did the Rebbe get the idea of the candle from? Well, a candle is a central, is a central image in Judaism and perhaps other religions as well. You see, Kabbalah says, if you want to understand what is your soul, what is a soul, envision a candle. Because your soul is God's light. Your soul is a piece of God or the light of God put into us. And that's our purpose in this world. Our purpose, every single person has a unique soul. There's no one in the world that has your soul. And that means there's no one in the world since the beginning of time that has the kind of light that only you could bring to the world. And that is our job. So I find myself in darkness. I could say, oh, this is terrible. How did the world get so dark? What do I do? How do I? Well, guess what? If I find myself in darkness, I have a job to shine my light through acts of goodness and kindness. And my light is unique and special, and the world's been waiting for my light. If you look at a candle, it's always flickering. It's always dancing. And that's the soul. The soul is sort of in a constant state of flux. On one hand, the soul yearns to return to God. The soul yearns to become one with its source. 
like fire, according to Kabbalah, is trying to go to its source, wherever that is in the universe. But on the other hand, it's being held down by that wick. Hmm. And what does that represent? That represents if God sent my soul to this world, I have a job to do. The wick is my body. I'm here for a certain amount of time. There's a mission that my soul is supposed to do. And the soul wants to accomplish its mission. So this this constant state of flux. On one hand, the soul yearns to go to Hashem, back to its source, just become one. And after we pass away, that's the concept of Jewish heaven. Every soul pretty much goes and becomes one with God. It might need some cleansing along the way, but ultimately that's where we end up. But the the focus in Judaism is not heaven. The focus in Judaism is this gift, this opportunity, this mission that only we could accomplish and that we got to hold on to this body and use it, please God, for a long and healthy life to bring our light to the world. And perhaps this is the reason why when Jewish people pray, you see them sway. That's right. Has that ever happened to you? I, I have uh, noticed that as I pray, I do uh, tend to sway and it's more comfortable on my knees for sure. But I also, <laughs> I do know that so what's, it has to do with the soul. What's the, yeah. Yeah. What's the deal with Jews and, and, and shaking and swaying? Like many people, when they pray, they're in one place. Jews are moving all over the place and maybe <laughs> other people too. The idea is when you get connected to your soul, that, that constant flicker is the motion, that, that, that sway, that flow that's that's what we sort of take up when we we pray we get into that we get connected to that so the so the image of a candle the image of light is really the mission the job of each and every one of us in this world well said i have a, a final question rabbi and that is that with going back to the idea of corrupted ways do you personally believe that the earth needs the same kind of flood that we experienced with Noah's Ark to move past this? Well, I hope not. But one of the things that we learned uh, in the story of Noah's Ark is at the end, God makes the rainbow. And the rainbow is a promise to humanity that he will never destroy the world again the way he did. So according to the Torah, the world will not go through such a flood, such a reset. Unfortunately, we did see later on that God did um, destroy Sodom and Amora and the other three cities as well. There was five cities. And I guess that that is something that only God could decide and only God can do. We don't believe in wiping out an entire people. Right. As Jewish people. So that's in God's hands. And he'll decide when and if that's necessary. Please, God, it doesn't come to that. Because look, as and, and to end on one positive note, as Jewish people, the whole religion really focuses on the coming of Mashiach. Right? right. Everything we do, you finish the Passover Seder, Lishana Habab Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. And what is that? The coming of Mashiach. The coming of Mashiach, a utopian world, a world of peace and harmony where Nation will put down their swords and, and, and practice war no more, as the prophets say, is not a time just for Jewish people. It's for all humanity. We believe in the goal and the possibility that all humanity, regardless of religion, regardless of ethnicity, could live in peace one in another. 
And ultimately, the whole Jewish religion is to bring ourselves to that that world. Um, and the belief that any mitzvah we do can can tip the cosmic scale, his, the scale of history, to make us worthy, to make humanity worthy of this beautiful world, a world where all mankind, Muslims, Jews, Christians, everyone can live together. And may we see that very soon. May Amen. we see that very soon. Amen. I, coexistence is so important. And it's, it's a concept from the Torah that I love, that the Torah doesn't say that only Judaism shall reign. It, it says that there's a val there's validity and importance to all cultures and religions coexisting with one another. And I I agree with everything you just said. So Rabbi yeah, Raps, I, I want to thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. I just want to qualify one thing. The Torah doesn't necessarily recognize all religions as right. long as they follow the seven laws of Noah. Right. Which are the basic principles. That we, could, we were just talking about Noah. As long as those religions incorporate these ideas of belief in God, don't kill, don't steal, don't harm animals, etc., etc., then then they could practice. They don't need a religion per se, but they could practice and they could be part of God's mission in this world. But I cut you off. You were going in right to a perfect, beautiful ending. So let's do it. Go. That, that's okay. I also do want to say now that you've brought up the seven Noah Hyde laws, that if you do want to learn about the seven Noah Hyde laws, we do have an episode from a previous uh, podcast that we've done uh, where we talked about the concept of is the Torah just for Jews? It's a really great episode. It's done by uh, a really wonderful woman who teaches Torah in Jerusalem. She's a wonderful person. So anyway, for those listening, I just want to say thank you for tuning into this podcast. And I want to thank Rabbi Raps for giving us his time. Rabbi Raps, we'll have to have you back on the podcast for another episode. Talk about, um, you know, talk about more, you know, more positive things in the future uh, outside of Hamas. So again, thank you for being on this podcast. And if people want to reach you, what's the best way they can connect? Well, they can follow me on Instagram or TikTok, Rabbi Raps. And I'd love for people to appreciate my daily videos and be part of my virtual community. Excellent. Rabbi Raps, thank you for being on this podcast. And for all the listeners, we'll see you next week. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.